0: Be the Bridge, Be the Bridge. You are listening to the Be the Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. What are
1: you doing today? It's exciting. Each
0: week, Be the Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm
1: going to do it in the spirit
0: of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end.
1: Be the bridge community. I am um, grateful to have um, another great guest. I'm just telling you, I just feel so blessed. We should feel blessed. We've There are some incredible people out here doing some amazing things. There are some amazing books that are being written. It's going to help us. It's going to equip us. It's going to grow us. And I feel that um, this next guest is a part of that. She is doing that. She is doing a lot of educating in her writing and also on the Instas. And so if you're not following her, you need to make sure you do. Um, her name is Jasmine Holmes, and I. it's a pleasure to have you here on the Be The Bridge um, podcast. Um, just to give you a little information about who Jasmine is, she's the author of Carved in Ebony, Lessons from the Black, Woman, um, Black Women Who Shape Us, and Mother to Son, Letters um, to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. Um, I can... That right there. I need to buy a few of those. Um, She is also a contributing author for The World on Fire, Walking in Wisdom of Christ When Everyone's Fighting About Everything, Um, Identity Theft, reclaiming, Reclaiming the Truth of Our Identity in Christ and his testimonies, my heritage, women of color on the word of God. So she's been busy. <laughs> um, and she also, listen, I just found this. She has two books, one book that already came out this year, that she's going to tell us about. And another one that is coming out. Those of you who are listening, if you're authors or, you know, the process of writing, um, the fact that she is here breathing and <laughs> into of this microphone, I don't even understand it. And she has three young ones. Um, Bye. <laughs> Jasmine and her husband Philip are parenting their children in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. The M, the I, the cricket letter, cricket letter. I'm telling you, <laughs> you gotta tell us about what's going on in Mississippi too. Oh my goodness, <laughs> so much all the time. <laughs> yes, um, so much history flows through mm-hmm. um, um, Mississippi, and um, there's there's a lot to say about that. Um, I, I'm following this case, this um, that they're d- dealing with now. Yeah. Um, um, kind of like a, it's a lynching case I, f- I forget mm-hmm. his name maybe we can talk about it um, at the end if you know um, I think it's Rasheem um, um, the, the young man's name but I am so grateful to, to have you here now we always get the bios but there are things that uh, we miss Um, out uh, when we say that. So tell um, the Be The Bridge audience a little bit more, maybe something I left out of who you are, what you do. And, um, you know, I know you are a history teacher. So tell us a little bit about this and how all of this came to be.
2: Yeah. It's it's been kind of a wild ride uh since twenty twenty for sure. I so I um was a teacher for nine years. Um I've been out of the classroom for the past two years and it has been so sad i like every time i'm in the pencil aisle or anything at any store i'm like ah oh, school yeah. supplies i miss it um so i'm hoping <laughs> to get back into the classroom but you know it's it's a really fraught environment right now with everything that's yeah. going on yeah. um politically and 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 with education so i'm just taking a step back and and regrouping for sure um yeah. my three boys are 6 4 and 18 months old wow um they are adorable wonderful um we just found out that my middle son has autism and it has been so cool to like see to see his brain in an entirely new light and like to just see how fascinating he is um it's made life really interesting and and really full um and then my 18 month old is just starting to communicate and so that's really fun um but that's my like my day to day is really just those three kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a a young lady, I think Moms of Joy podcast that I follow Mm -hmm. uh, on Instagram that talks a lot about autism. And I'm just just watching her and then I follow several people. Because even though it's not my story, it's people in my community, people in my life, it is their story. And so- is just to make myself aware mm-hmm. um, so that as I encounter people that I that I understand, you know, yeah, and, absolutely. and then to, to really have um, empathy. And, you know, um, you know, I know a lot of times she's talking about when she's taking her kids out. Uh, her son out and just some of the stairs because he's a little older, um, but he's not fully potty trained, just different things like that. I think you could be um, just, that could be a resource for so many other parents that um, are going um, through similar things that you're not alone in this. And so um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. So uh, one of the things you, um, On Instagram, you say that you center Black stories and history. Mm -hmm. You highlight the faithful. I love that. You highlight the faithful and you check the footnotes. Um, I want to hear about, okay, and tell us a little bit about the... um, like, how do you? What is your process and what you share? Because I'm like, okay, she is given like a full on history lesson. Yeah, uh, these are and these are and it's so funny because there's a couple of things that you were sharing about. I was like, I just wrote about that, you know. And we we talk about a lot, a lot of those things in our academy and in our trainings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is like, I don't understand if people understand the wealth of information that they are getting from you because you are reading. Uh, I mean a lot of books to, mm-hmm. to give highlights of this, like, you know, of the, the, you know, highlights. And you're doing a lot of the work for people, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> and you're putting it together so beautifully on, um, on Instagram. Um, tell us, when you say you check the footnotes, tell me a little bit about that.
2: So, I grew up um, oh. in a very uh, sheltered, white, evangelical context. So, like, my dad um, is a pastor at a church where, you know, I always say, like, I was the only Black girl in the room. Yeah. There were probably, like, two or three of us, but, you know, it right. felt like you were the only Black one in the room. Right. And um, we got a very skewed education, right? A very, mm-hmm. like, the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. Yes. Um, some slaves were really happy, and some and mm-hmm. some masters were, like, not that bad. And I, as a Black woman, there, mm-hmm. there there is sort of this complication of, and I try to be really gentle with my younger self because I was surviving yeah. in, the, in the circumstances that I was in. And so right. as I say this, I'm saying it with compassion for right. who I was and compassion for anybody else who's in the same place. But there kind of becomes this, um, I'm proving that I'm kind of a reasonable Black person because I I can be unemotional about this part mm-hmm. of history. I can say the hard things that are like true. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first started... Checking the footnotes and being like, "Oh, these things that I always thought were true, um, were were not true." And, and one like really simple one was, you know, I would always I argued with a professor of mine uh, in grad school for like an hour. We were on a field trip at the art museum, and he and I were going back and forth. And he was like, "The Civil War was fought about slavery," and I was like, "No, it was fought about states' rights." And this little scrawny white man was like, "It's fought, it's over <laughs> slavery," and I was like, "No, it's states' rights." And he goes, "Jasmine, states' rights to do what?"
1: Exactly. <laughs> what do the states <laughs> want
2: to do? What do they want to do? And I literally was like, uh, something about tariffs or some. And he was like, tariffs on what? Taxes on what? Yeah. Where did the goods come from? Where did the. And so he just kind of, it was this moment where, like, not in that moment was I mm-hmm. humbled enough to kind of be like, oh, you're right. But I went back home and I started reading and I was like, oh, the states actually said exactly why they seceded. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because <laughs> they weren't, they weren't embarrassed. They weren't ashamed of what they were doing. Like they were very right. open about it. And throughout yeah. American history, that's something that I have learned. Um, as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a layperson, right? I'm a teacher. I'm not a scholar in the sense that I'm like right. I have advanced degrees in history or anything of that nature. But uh-huh. just as a layperson, something that I've noticed over and over again is that in American history, these these things that we are ashamed of now people weren't ashamed of then. And so they were actually really clear with exactly what they yeah. meant and exactly what they were talking about and exactly who
1: they thought of as right. Americans. Mm, yeah, I, I that is that is so um, that is so good. And this just seems like when you hear it, like, because I've heard that story. Growing up in North Carolina, I didn't hear it as much until I moved to Texas. And, you that's know, where I'm I, I tell this story, right? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> where, where I'm like, from. Okay, it makes sense because, like I don't know what kind of history they're teaching in Texas, and i I can imagine that it's gonna everybody needs to tune in because like um, but one thing I would say is that there's a there's so many books now um mm-hmm. if they're not being all banned i'm not uh, you know I'm not sure we that's a whole nother conversation, oh, yeah. but um that really can help you because if you take a pause and you really think about. What we're being told and the disservice and who it deserves you know like um um w- when we're telling these basically just blatant lies about about history because if you own it I mean we know that the truth sets us free mm-hmm. you know but and so you're really in bondage you know yeah. when you're living a lie like there's 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 nothing to gain out of that and so we know that from our faith, but why are so many in the faith falling for what I call the okie-dokie? Like, you, you don't separate these things, you know. So, you know, when you went home and you um, started reading, you know, what, what was the thing? When did it start to, to shift for you? Because, you know, for me, I think— these were conversations I always had um, growing up with other black people, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't, you know. There were there were times where okay, in Girl Scouts I'm the only black person. I did, you know, different sure. things. But my community was very diverse, and you know, um, you know, the churches my grandparents went to were mm-hmm. all black, you know. So there there was this safety net for me. Um, but for you, how what was that? Where did it start clicking for you and you started saying, like, wait a minute, I'm missing something. Um, you know, was that, was the conversation with your your white teacher, was that um, one of the, 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 the times yeah. in your life?
2: Yeah, that was one of them. And then uh, meeting and marrying my husband was another one. Because um, okay. it's one thing to be the daughter of a black man and a sister of a black man, but to love a black man. Yeah. Um, really brought some things into sharper relief. But okay. my real like fork in the road moment was I had just had my firstborn son um, mm. when the when the shooting when Philando Castile was murdered in okay. Minneapolis, and we lived in the neighborhood where he was murdered. Mm. Um, and I was on Facebook when the live video, the live stream video, popped up, and wow. my husband was out of the house, so he had left me to go get some food or something and was gone. I was nursing my baby. I'm on Facebook doing whatever. This video pops up. I didn't see, I didn't see the video. Like the feed had just been disrupted when I kind of like tuned in. And I just remember that being the first time where I felt a really visceral fear, like for the baby that I was holding for my husband who was out of the house. And this person who had always prided herself in being like, oh, I'm just not, you know, I don't get emotional. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I wait for the facts and I kind of, I I had like, an, emotion, an emotional response, and honestly, uh-huh. even looking back, you know this the selfishness of this matters now because I'm in a situation where I have these two black men that I love very much, uh-huh. um, who I feel are in danger now. Um, yeah. That was my my first real moment, and so uh-huh. as as my son got older, um, and as I just started. Reading more. I'm a voracious reader. And so, picking up yeah. things and reading and, you know, being homeschooled, uh, you are taught to check the footnotes, right? But I just mm-hmm. had very limited books that I was reading. So, w- when the books actually um, had more thorough footnotes, I would read the footnotes and then I would be like, okay, uh, this footnote is getting brought up a whole lot. So, I'm going to get online and I'm going to read this source document. And then right. this footnote keeps getting brought up a lot. So, I'm going to get online and I'm going to get this book. And so, a lot of it was just this self directed, just yearning to know and understand, yeah. especially because I had been complicit in spreading things that weren't true.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so good. And I, I'm I'm glad that you're telling the story because to me it gives hope for a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and I and so many people who are part of the Be the Bridge community, that is their story where, you know, I was once blind but now I see, you mm-hmm. know, in a sense, you know, as it relates to um, th- this um when we talk about justice and, and righteousness, you know? And so I I think, you know, for for me, it was like the, I think the murder of um, Trayvon Martin was mm-hmm. just a, a turning point for me where, okay, I'm not just going to have these conversations in the closet with other Black people because I'm afraid of um, hurting someone else's feelings or losing friends or not being liked. Um, if we're going to be in community and we're a part of the same church, I want you to care about the things that I care about. And I want to know why you're not talking about this, you yeah. know. And then I want to understand why you have that perspective, you know, about this child. So, like, for me, that was the, um, what you would say, the catalytic moment for, yeah. for me. And and there's no, once you see, there's no unseeing. There's no turning <laughs> you know? back. There's no turning back. No. And, and, I, and I mean, I think, Jasmine, you give a lot of hope when you say that you're, you're, you're homeschooled. I know Several people who, um, you know, Black people who are homeschooling now because of the conditions of the education system, mm-hmm. you know, right now. And um, there's so many curriculums. Uh, my friend um, Delina, um, she does um, woke homeschooling. Oh, you know yeah. I just um, got yeah. their
2: youngest yeah. for my yeah. little boys. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, you know, before people co-opted the name, you right. know. <laughs> but we know in, in our community we understand what it means, and so when you're saying that, when you're when you, we know that anti woke is really anti black, you yes, know, absolutely um, and, and absolutely clearly right. it is. And so when you're when you're saying that and you're trying to kind of gaslight people into um, what this word truly means, and I think you just even I don't know if you did. Um, a, a lesson even on that um, but we can talk about that a little bit but um you know she, there are people doing some amazing things in communities mm-hmm. and then people actually using her i mean white people all people that yeah. are um that are using this to supplement because we know that this is not going to be taught in school and we and i'm a product of that so you know some of this you know with the school stuff it does scare me but in a way it's like it's never been taught at school. So never. Never it's never been taught at school. So, but it contributes to the um, um the disunity that we have, the apathy that we have, um, the violence that we have, the trauma that we have, it contributes to all of that. But uh one of the things you say, um, you highlight the faithful. Um, the faithful and you talk about you you dedicate your latest book to the faithful black women in your life who um, consistently interrupt the message of shame. Mm-hmm. I see I love um, I love that. And um, can you expound on that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Um, one of the major things when I was growing up. Was I read so many biographies. I loved biographies. And I love biographies of missionaries, especially. So Gladys Allward, Maurice Slessor, George, you know, all, all of these people. Um, no black people, all the white people. And okay. so it wasn't, I wasn't, I was an adult when I realized that black people had been missionaries at the exact mm-hmm. same time as David Livingston, mm-hmm. in the exact same region as David Livingston. Like I had no idea. And mm-hmm. so finding the faithful stories of Black Christians who have gone before just became this really empowering experience for me, um, a very transformative experience. And it's why I wrote uh, Carved at Ebony, because it was just all of these women and all of these periods of history where Christians had been loud and vocal in their resistance to enslavement and in their resistance to white supremacy. Um, I feel like a lot of times with Christians, when it comes to facing the reality of our history— we feel like um maybe i won't say we but but many people feel like if we uncover too much then it shines a bad light on Christianity because so often christians were complicit in these things right but because of the way that god works
1: mm-hmm. there
2: were there's always a remnant like there are always okay. christians speaking the truth there are always christians yeah. standing against you know and so i'm always trying to find okay who were they like what what were they doing yeah. Um, and, and maybe we can get some better heroes in here. Maybe we don't have yeah. to make excuses for, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards or um, George Whitefield. Maybe maybe yeah. there's other options for us to look to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of one of the major thrusts of my work. Um, and then the dedication for Never Cast Out definitely came from, I just have a community of Black women in my life who yeah. constantly disrupt the message of shame in my life. Um, I was a little bit late hopping on for the podcast because one of my friends is having like a professional crisis, and like two Uh two other black women, it's like a group chat, and we're all in the group chat together. Like, girl, no, hold your head up, like we're gonna get through this. And it's always it's always that way, and that's something that I didn't have growing up, and so it's something that's been such a balm as an adult,
1: right? And it's such a rich experience, like the connectedness. Mm -hmm. I have I have a Text group also, you know, and one of the things that, you know, this text group that I'm in, you know, at one point it was probably about 20 women, you know, it's probably like 12 of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I remember at the start of probably, probably around Charleston, you know, there were, you know, everybody mm-hmm. texting each other saying, I'm not going to my church today because the majority of us at that time were either in predominantly white churches or either in multi ethnic or multicultural churches.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but we had left. But a lot of us had come out of a predominantly African American church, you know, tradition, and so um, a lot of people were t- talking like, "I'm not going to church today," you know. And then it was like, okay, of all things, when we should, when we're in pain, um, we should be going to church. But mm-hmm. most people were saying they're staying home or they're going to a different church. And it was because we knew that we were not going to be seen or heard, um, you know, or recognized um, um, in our pain and in our trauma. Um, And it wasn't, there wasn't going to be a bomb, you know, like it was going to be like business as usual. And, um, and now that, that whole group, like no one in that group goes to a predominantly white church anymore. Mm -hmm. Like not, some people have found other churches some people are still looking you know but i'm just like wow like when like what like, like this is something that i don't know if the the church as a whole is going to be able to reckon with until you know 20 years down yeah the the line where um you know really the churches that are really growing um are like you know, uh, African American churches are multi ethnic, multicultural churches. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but this resistance um, to that what what would you say about that? Like, what what is something that you know? Ha- have you had this experience yourself um, with yeah. your friends, and why do you think this is happening?
2: This is when I start sounding like the preacher's daughter that I am. Um, <laughs> white supremacy is such a stronghold. Like, yeah. it's demonic. Yeah. Yeah, and whenever I say that, people are always like, "Okay, Jasmine," but I'm like, "No, it's no, literally
1: it is. It's demonic. A it's, it's a sin. sin it it's a sin,
2: and it has a chokehold yes. on.
1: Yes,
2: it has a chokehold on us. I mean, even yes. even if we're not, you know, carrying tiki torches yes. in Charleston, the the yeah. the inability to look it in the face and call it what it is, and yeah. to move away from it in repentance, that's mm. a stronghold. Yeah. Um. And it's just such see. a, yeah, it's, it is, it's is, no. it's evil. Like it, it is yeah. evil. It is from the pits of hell. And it is, yeah. I think so much bigger than we want to realize and so much bigger than we want to articulate, um, particularly at church, right? Because people hear the phrase white supremacy and they're like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not a racist and I don't hate black mm-hmm. people. And I don't, it's like, you know, it's, there's, su- there's such a bigger yeah, picture. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's such a bigger picture than, than, than what you're seeing. And yeah. one of the reasons why you can't see it is because this is such a stronghold. Like this is yeah. such a national sin. And I think that we have so much focus on other things that are going on nationally and culturally. Um, but we are fighting tooth and nail not to reckon yeah. with the national yeah. sin of white supremacy. Like we yeah. are like, oh my gosh, I'll do anything not
1: to have to look that in the face. Yeah. Oh, and don't even say it because mm-hmm. if you say it, you're making me feel some kind of way. Yep. And you know, but it's like in any other thing we have to name our sin. Absolutely. And so, and that's the one thing there's certain words that I'm like, okay, I'm not going to put my banner in that word. Like I'm not going to put my banner in woke. Like I'm you know, there's certain things I'm not. Yeah. But I am going to say white supremacy. You know, the system of white supremacy. I am going to say that because we have to name that sin, you Absolutely. know, what 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 it, what it um Embodies the indifference um, mm-hmm. that fuels hate. You know that's such a um, good word. Yes, you know, like it. It. It really. We have to 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 name it. It. It others people. You know, and we have to be able to recognize it. And that's one of the things that you know within our community that we teach. And so, if if I'm saying white supremacy, and you think I'm say I'm I'm saying something about you, right? Personally, you have to have to take pause and say okay why am i identifying with this right right and that questions and be you know be curious about it rather than shutting it down Mm -hmm. and deflect you know um deflecting or denying or you know denounce all the things you know we want you to denounce but um (laughs) but i mean those are just things that um that we're saying take pause, you know, take pause and really understand how these systems have been set up. Mm -hmm. And we know that through history. And I think you're, you you know, you're doing a a good job of walking people through just some of the history and letting them know some of the unknowns, Mm -hmm. um, some of the hidden figures um, within our history. Um, What, what, what what is someone that has stood out that you have learned about, you know, especially in the, the, the missionary field, um, and within the um, the history of the church that has stood out to you, that like, oh, my God, I wish I would have known this um, coming up. You know, this would have done a lot for my self-worth, my self-esteem, my mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, just think we're leaving out entire people groups of people. Like yeah. right? the gospel is for everyone. Mm-hmm. But we completely leave out entire people groups. We do. You know, when it comes to the history of the church. We do. You know?
2: And there's this whole um Black missionary group in the Congo mm-hmm. in the 1890s. And I, like, before I started reading, I didn't know who King Leopold of Belgium was. I had no idea. I didn't know that he was responsible for the death of over ten million
1: Congolese yes. people. I didn't know. And we don't even talk about. No, like, I have that no was clue. Like the first Holocaust. Like it was more people died in that. You know, but we we don't even. Talk about it.
2: While yeah. he was sending out messages to the rest of the world and being like, "I'm doing all these missionary endeavors and I need money for it," people were just. I mean, the entire the term the phrase "crimes against humanity" yeah. was used for the first time by a black reporter who was talking about what was going on in the Congo and like, we it have was no brutal, idea. Yeah, and, and there he- were black missionaries on the ground, like mm. on the ground, doing crazy things like Mariah fearing was do- trading a pound of salt for a child's life type of stuff, just mm. like saving lives and translating the Bible into this dialect that has never been translated into when, as a child growing up in slavery in Alabama, she wasn't even allowed to read the Bible? Come on. Like, we should know this. We should—everybody should know that It should be like David Livingston, right? Like, it should be just common knowledge. Yeah.
1: There were eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. So many. And And they left so many written accounts. Receipts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So while, you know— and then we but then what, what we do I think just which is like a, a, a double stab in the heart is we put these people on pedestals and we make monuments of, of people and not telling the full truth. Yes and the disservice that that does. And when we look at the country now and we see some of the challenges that are happening, we're like, what's wrong with you? And you can't separate that from the history and the brutality yes. that the Congo has experienced. And when you look at the resources that come from the congo when you look at the resources that come from africa m- most countries that are the de- consider the um, developed countries mm-hmm. whatever they are considered developed countries <laughs> because of the oppression that part. of other people that you part. know the, the stealing of, uh, of other people and, and some of you are listening to this and this may be hard for you to hear but I would, I would advise you to lean into this and, mm-hmm. you know, read about the missionary that um, that she just talked about. Um, there's a book called The Ghost of Leopold. Like, you know, oh, yes. look this up. And even sometimes, even when we try to look up stuff, you can't just Google. But, like, you know, and if you Google, you have to go down because you'll see a lot of the great things that's propped up about people. And then there are Things you have to keep digging. To I'm just doing that with something, um, um, just some study in dermatology, like just talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the medical field mm-hmm. and how there's this man that's propped up as a hero in the the field, and I mean he's basically doing eugenics. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> same today, thing with gynecology and today. And today you oh know? <laughs> gosh, um, you know, so so this is important. So I, I would advise you not to deflect, um, not to dismiss. But to lean in and to verify, because most of the things that um, we're talking about um, in our books, in our writings, um, there are scholarly documents on mm-hmm. there. They there are eyewitnesses um, to this. There is documentation. Uh, one of the things you, I think you had just posted. I'm just jumping around here, but as we're talking about this, you just posted about um, just some um, the enslaved narratives.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: you know what you know what led you to to do something and to post about that and to tell that story so
2: you're going to think that I'm um absolutely crazy because so I had the book that came out in February okay and I had the book that's coming out in September I know, I know. and I have a manuscript that's due in September Okay. As well. Okay. So I'm currently... Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. This week was spring break too. So I'm just like looking oh, at my, my computer God. like I should be writing, but these children right. are on the loose. Um, But so the the book that I'm writing that's coming up is dealing a lot with like firsthand accounts and eyewitness stories. I just really wanted to bring stories to life.
0: Hmm. And I
2: was talking to um, one of my best friends is a historian and... Um, she is always, I'm always sending my stuff to her. and me like, oh, I was, you know, am I saying it right? Is this okay? And she's like, you. she's always right. telling me, you are a historian, be confident in that. And I'm like, I know, but I don't have, like, you have an actual PhD. I'm just out right. here. Right. I'm just out here making it do what I do, like by myself. Right. Right. And, um, but I told her I wanted to write this. And, and I said, I don't know, like, do you think that I could? And she goes, this is the perfect opportunity to use WPA narratives. Right. And she is, so her work focuses on enslaved women in the ways that they defined freedom in the wake of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So the way that they literally, um, one historian calls it voting with their feet, um, Mm -hmm. decided to just get up and leave and led to the Emancipation Proclamation because Abraham Lincoln was like, we got to do something about this. Um, And so that's what her work focuses on. And she focuses on a lot of narratives that were overlooked in the 60s and 70s and even into modern day because people didn't take the eyewitness experiences of the formerly enslaved seriously and also weren't able to read between the lines whenever they were talking to white interviewers and maybe kind of downplaying some of the things that they experienced. Downplaying some of of the things that they experienced. Downplaying some of the things that they experienced. Downplaying some of the things that they experienced. Downplaying.
1: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Be The Bridge community. This is Latasha Morrison, and I am the founder and CEO of the nonprofit organization, Be The Bridge, and the author of the book entitled Be The Bridge, and the host of this wonderful podcast. I am so glad that you are here. You see, Be The Bridge responds to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world and believes understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but we are grounded in truth. We have provided this podcast as a resource to help cultivate courageous conversations and equip all to flourish. You will find interviews from a variety of thought leaders, faith leaders, and business leaders, as well as authors, artists, activists, and athletes. You will be encouraged. You will be challenged. But most of all, you will be changed. So go ahead and subscribe to the Be The Bridge podcast on your favorite podcast players so you don't miss out on any of these helpful and hopeful conversations. Yeah, I know um what's the, the one of the interviewers um oh my goodness their eyes were watching God like uh, what what what's her name? Oh Zorno Hurston Zora, mm-hmm. yeah she was one of the interviewers and even some you can see even the um self hate that comes across in yes. the reading it and that's really hard to read because um when this is all that you know when this brutality is all that you know and you've been told that you are nothing that you are evil that you are barbaric so a lot of people have ingested that you know that that self-hate that indifference and they will say you know they have to do this to us to control us you yeah. know like yeah. it's hard to read those things and then you look at there's a lot of people that are doing these interviewers that um are still a part of that same system oh yeah you know they're doing this because they needed a job during the Great Depression,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so even the way they're communicating and um, to um, you know them, y- you can you can you can feel that in some of the the writings and some of the recordings. A lot of it is recording the broken language and mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like
2: making it more broken. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like W W U Z and W A S sound yeah. the same yeah, but in the recording of the conversation, they're using the w u z spelling. like there's a there's a ton yeah. of stuff that just sounds really similar if you have a southern accent right. that they're taking the opportunity to make a caricature out of the people whose stories they're recording. Or sometimes their descriptions are like, oh, he looks just like what you would expect a house Negro to look like, or, oh, she had really, like, pale skin, or, oh, he looks just like the old renderings of these Black gentlemen or Black... Pa- like, it's very... Some of it is just
1: really stereotypical, the mm-hmm. way that they talk about the people that they're interviewing. Right, right. I'm telling you. Uh, one of the things you... Um, you 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 also talked about um, Black teachers who fought revisionist history. hmm And I love to hear you talk a little bit more about that topic and what you shared. Um, I think it's such a timely message when you think about what's happening um, to teachers. I'm like, do do we understand we would not be the country that we are now without teachers? And if people, there are less people going into the teaching field. Like what... You know, like, what are we, what is the game plan? And maybe the game pa- plan is really to make people ignorant, um, to make people dependent. So I think this is something that we are going to really have to, we can't just depend on the um, the, the school, you know, yeah. um, the school system, you know, um, or teachers. And I think teachers are being very creative. I see a lot of teachers who have like basically retired and they're doing history lessons like yourself on the Mm internet and doing a phenomenal job, you know, reaching more people that way than they would have in the classroom. Um, When you talk about revisionist history, um, tell us a little bit about um, what you shared.
2: So, So It kind of goes back to what we were saying before about how people were not making any secret of what they thought or why they thought it. And so after the Civil War, um, moving towards the 20th century, there were a lot of white daughters of the Confederacy who were outright saying, we don't want our Southern children to feel bad about the Confederacy. So Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that when we teach about the Civil War, we teach that slavery wasn't that bad, that... Um, we seceded because of states' rights that northerners imported slaves too. So whatever. And just a lot of the very similar arguments and argumentation. And, you know, there's letters that they sent. there's textbooks that they wrote. There's all these, I mean, there's a there's a paper trail um, of them just really trying to, under the guise of teaching their students patriotism, teaching them white supremacy. And mm. so then you have these black teachers who are coming up in these other schools and are teaching true history, um, really trying to render an accurate portrayal of history and also trying to instill in Black students a pride in their people and a pride in their own history. Um, you have people like Layla Amos Pindleson and Edward A. Johnson and Drusilla Dungy Houston and, you know, everybody knows Carter G. Woodson and, and you know, people yeah. who just wrote textbooks wrote learning resources, wrote, like, they just took it upon themselves. And I feel such a kinship to so many of them because aside from Carter G. Woodson, who has a PhD in history, of um, the rest of them, we're, yeah. were just teachers who were yeah. like, I, something's got to give. Like, something's got to be done yeah. about this in the classroom. I have to write my own resources to introduce to these children and to help give them, um, help give them a better foundation and in, in, in who they are. Um, like, Garrett King talks about how it was basically a fight for their humanity to teach these students um, that they're made in God's image and that they have value and that people who've gone before them, who look like them, also have value and have done valuable things for American history. And, um, you know, by today's standards, all of these works are incredibly patriotic, like more patriotic than i be feeling sometimes. Um, So it's not even like, you know, that they're trying to tear down America or anything of that nature.
1: They're really trying to show these Black children that America is also their birthright. I wanted you to explain classical education because sometimes we hear that and we're like, oh, that's um, better. Like, you know, classical is better or, you know, it seems inclusive, but, um, you know, I hear people say, oh, they're classically trained when they're talking about an actor. And um, I had a, a, a Black British woman say, you know, like, that's not inclusive. Like this is what classically trained, and how we can um, put that on a pedestal, and not realize that it's the classically trained is missing so much um, diversity and other um, from from others. You know, and that can you explain that um, to our audience what classical education is? And I, I mean, I just had a lot of run-ins with um, with. People who are um, in schools, classically trained, you know, like that's one of the schools that, um, you know, they were doing the debate on um, um, on slavery where you have to be for and against. First of all, I mean, that makes my blood boil that you would be um, that you would see any debate. Into the enslavement of human beings, chattel slavery, and what that that generational slavery um, that you would that you, that someone could even fathom. But it shows you how we have romanticized um, um, slavery. So explain that what classical is, and then I want you to explain um, the uh, reading everybody black challenge. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, so and it it dovetails really well actually okay. because classical education you know it has a lot of elements but the major one is the entering into the conversation with the great books uh-huh. with. The great thinkers, with the great philosophers. Um, And the great books, great thinkers, great philosophers that are in the canon don't look like me or you. Right, right. Um, And so it's a lot of, it's really prizing and um, conserving Western thought. Mm -hmm. And by Western thought, really, it's white. Yeah. Thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that's one of the core tenets of classical education. Now, I will have a caveat because I know and I know that a lot of Vita Bridge people are homeschoolers who use Charlotte Mason. Yeah. Charlotte Mason is a classical strain. Right. Like that's one type of classical education. Um, And so I wasn't teaching in the Charlotte Mason strain. strain. Um, I was teaching in. The Association association of Classical Christian School Strain, mm-hmm. which some classical educators kind of look down their nose at us and are like, mm, that's neoclassical education. So cool. there's all of this, like, wow. there's all this different lingo and language. Um, okay. Heritage Mom Blog on instagram amber she is a charlotte mason mom and she describes herself as like charlotte mason with an afro Mm -hmm. i love her and i love how she really cultivates a list of great books and great thinkers that are more reflective of the diversity that we have in the world she works really hard at that and so there, there are just there are several charlotte mason homeschoolers in particular that i follow that are just a balm. To
1: my soul, oh, after a decade God. in classical education. Oh wow! Well, I'm so I'm so glad that um, the Lord gave you free. <laughs> yes, yes, He did. <laughs> out of he that, did out of that. But then you know, I, I look at what you're doing now. Like you said, I hope to one day go back in the classroom, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you have created your classroom. You know, you are educating through the writings that um, that you're doing, through your books that you're you're writing, through through um, you know um, how you're educating your your family. Um, mm-hmm. So you are a teacher, like you are teaching the masses. You're probably reaching more people now than you would have within the classroom, and you're helping those who are blind to the fact that they are missing um, information. You know, um, yeah. so I mean you know I mean I love it like I loved it the fact that you're like wait a minute like I'm missing something here and I'm going to do something about it and I'm not just going to sit silent or sit in shame or because I didn't know but like you know right. what? I'm going to make sure that others know um, what I didn't know tell me a little bit about um, the book that you have coming out Um, Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History." I know it's probably, we've talked about it a little bit, but just a little more in detail.
2: It's about black black Christian resistance to chattel slavery in all of its forms. Okay. and so we talk about Nat Turner's revolt, and then we talk about free people in the north who are abolitionists. We talk about people in the south who ran away. We talk about this whole thing in the south of like where people ran away for a few days called lying out, but then mm-hmm. came back. We talk about mm-hmm. um, there, it's it's a it's kind of a survey, right? Mm-hmm. Like a historical survey, but I hope that it also reads like a story. I mm-hmm. you know I am a fiction writer at heart. Mm. I have, um, when I was a little girl, when I, um, when you would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would be like a writer and a teacher. Wow. Um, and, but I was supposed to be writing the next great American novel. Um, we'll see okay. if that ever actually happens, but okay. that's what I was supposed to be doing. But I do have a lot more um, moments of storytelling right. in Crown of Glory that I'm really excited about.
1: Right, right. And then your first, um, the book um, um, that you just came out with, the one never cast out. How the gospel was an end to the story of shame. Um, that one right there. Tell me a little bit more about that particular book.
2: That one was interesting because I actually approached the publisher
1: uh-huh.
2: to um, sign me for Carved in Ebony, the book that came before it. Okay, and they were like, "Ah, we're not sure it's a good fit." And um, Carved in Ebony was my first and only time ever having multiple publishers interested in my project, and so that was my book where I was like, "Ooh, I'm fancy." Like. <laughs> I got options. Yeah. And so they, they, knew, they knew that I had options. And so yeah. they were like, hey, I don't feel bad saying no to this book. We want you to write this other book. And my editor for that, Ashley Gorman, um, had been reading my writing for years. And she was like, I see a common thread of you really grappling with mm. shame. And I would love you to write a book about that. And Um, Really, it was her holding my hand. I would have never written that book otherwise. Um, But it it has a lot of personal testimony about shame and how it's impacted my life and really how the gospel of Christ has been the answer to not eradicating it completely, because I don't know that I'll get there before glory, but turning the volume down Mm
1: -hmm. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I I, I love what you're doing. I, I think you give hope to a lot of people that have been missing information Mm-hmm. Um, within their upbringing, but how you God can redeem that and restore oh, yeah. that, and um, and look at you now, you know, um, and the pathway that you're creating, not just for others, but also for your children, you know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's going to look different for them than what it looked for you. And God will use, you. like you said, I always tell people, I said, you know what? There's not, we're not going to convince everyone. Like everybody's yeah. not going to get it. Everybody's not gonna get it. And so once you resolve that with yourself that everybody's not gonna get it, you also you also resolve, but you know what? There will be some. You know, yeah, there will absolutely. be a remnant. And you talk about the remnants. You, you know, like this whole thing that you're talking about, like that blew my mind, like you said, there were other missionaries on the ground that mm-hmm. looked like me that were trying to talk about what was happening. In the Congo. And I know yeah. this probably repeats itself throughout history, but we're given one version of of history, yeah. you know, that revisionist history um, where those stories are not told, their stories are hidden. And, you know, um, we you think about the, the movie Hidden Figures and how so many mm-hmm. people knew that story. I mean... The, I mean Katherine Johnson was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> Her family you know living and breathing. I-, I think she only recently passed, you know. Oh just um, I think yeah. it was
2: 2020. Yeah,
1: tw- it was recent. Recent, you know. Um but that story that so many people um hadn't heard of you know um and there's so many stories just like that that people need to be taught because it makes us better it makes us whole like you know yeah. and so we, we we should know that and understand that and just if our history makes you feel bad you have to you have to ask yourself why and how do i get over it? it's not really our problem but it's like mm-hmm. how, how do i get o- over over this feeling of shame and guilt where we have this like collective justice together, um, this collective lament to say, you know what, this is, this is bad, Mm -hmm. Um, but this is what this can look like on the other side to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Absolutely. Um, So I think there's something to that. What are some things now that you may be lamenting? What is something that you're lamenting right now? Right now, uh, I
2: think a lot about the black maternal mortality rate Mm. in Mississippi.
1: Yeah.
2: It is abysmal. It's, I think we've, I think that we had passed Louisiana for the bleakest stats. I think black women in Mississippi, regardless of socioeconomic status, because people love to bring that up. Yeah. Are more than four times four times more likely to die in childbirth than, than their white counterparts. Yeah. Um, and I've given birth to two children in yeah. Mississippi, um, and it is such a you know while Christians are celebrating the fact that in my state abortion is I mean we we in we in there like
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Christians have gotten what they desired yeah. from abortion legislation in my right. state, right. Um, but then to sit back. And watch while the black maternal mortality rate and the black fetal mortality rate are going through the roof. Um, I lament that.
1: Yeah, I lament that. I lament that with you um, because I think we're sometimes more concerned about um, birth and life, and mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a, a big thing. I was just actually right before you were talking. I was looking at a a, a stat like how it's increased since twenty twenty one. It has now, yes, um, and and we're the, we have the highest. In general, mortality, infant mortality rate, than any other developed country, you yes. know, and so this is connected to our healthcare system. This mm-hmm. is connected to access. This is connected to racism, you know. Is you know, and yes. how, and when you start talking about the the communities that are impacted by this the most, and so we have to um, bring bring attention to this, you know, because like you cannot just be settled like that. Okay. There's no abortion, but this this is what's happening, you know, on the right. other side of this. And so we have to be concerned about it all. And so, um, you know, what, what are some things, you know, um, that are bringing you hope, you know, in this season?
2: Mm, I just met a Black doula oh. um, and I just was so excited. I'm done having children okay. um, unless Lord does some supernatural act to supersede medical interventions that we have done. <laughs> we are done. Oh we are finished. Um, but I love, yeah. I love birth so much. And so, um, yeah, to meeting a Black doula and, and doulas and midwives are a huge part mm. of ending this crisis, yeah. they're, of of seeing to this crisis. You know, we see such better outcomes yeah. when doulas and midwives are involved. And when my children are older, I would love to become a doula. Um yeah. Another thing that gives me joy, my little boy, (laughs) we've been reading a bunch of, like, Black history graphic novels lately, and my oldest is six, and we were sitting at the doctor's office the other day, and he saw this picture of, like, Harriet Tubman, and he was like, who is that? I was like, oh, that's Harriet Tubman, and, you know, tell me something about her. I told her him a little something. He goes, man, you just know everything about Black history, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I loved it so much. Wow. I was like, he thinks I know everything.
1: Wow. Like, he was just like, wow, you love that, don't you? And I was like, I do. I mean, and she was a woman of faith. Um, I she was. Just, she was. Just a couple of days ago, I want to say that they celebrated Harriet Tubman Day um this recognizes in certain cities um just for her contributions you know mm-hmm. um to this country you know she served as a, a general also um yeah. along with her you know going back be- because of the horrors of um enslavement and what she had had been a part of and witnessed that's why she kept going back you mm-hmm. know and th- and then the, the 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 crazy thing about her. It's, and when you say when people say, "Okay, this is a, a this country was founded on Christian principles or a Christian that like Judeo Christian value," I would I would push back <laughs> on that. But we'll have time. Don't, to, don't put to that fire. on. Don't put that on Jesus. Don't put, exactly, don't put that on exactly, Jesus. Please don't. But <laughs> this lady, when when you look at the wanted posters for her, they called her Moses. Yep. And it just shows you how far from the Christian faith that the so-called Christians have become. Mm -hmm. And when you read, you know, um, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass and, you know, haven't like, I don't know anything about this, you know, country's um, Christian values, you know, the slave holding Christian, you know, like how he talks, you know, talks about when his, you know, the slave master, when it beca- became a Christian, they were excited that he was going to live into what Christian values should be by setting them free or being mm-hmm. kind and, and just and generous, demonstrating the fruits of the spirit, but yet became more cruel. You know? Yep. you know. And so um, th- there's something that we have to reckon with, with that. And I, I, I think um, many of us, um, not just our black brothers and sisters, but I think, all of our brothers and sisters, you know, including our white brothers, are reckoning with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people are leaning into this this conversation. You know, people are wanting to know. Um, I think the thing that we have to do as leaders in this this work is to um, give people the how. You know, yeah. um, of, yeah. of what to say, what to do, because I think some people they could become paralyzed when so much stuff is happening culturally. People don't know what to do. And so um, I I, I like conversations like this. I like meeting um, other activists, educators, whatever, just people, the body of Christ, like whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call us, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, um, reconcilers, whatever it is. But just just where we can really have this um, collective strategy um, of how we lead people toward, um, you know, uh, restoration. You know, yeah, um, absolutely, and, and true redemption. So, um, so thank you so much. For coming on here and um, um, you know sharing your wisdom with our community Um, it's Jasmine Holmes you can follow her on Instagram Uh, we'll have everything listed in the show notes and um, her book um, that's coming out is Crowned with Glory How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History you can also read some of her latest books um, Never Cast Out How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame and then um, carved um, from ebony, um, um, such richness that God is using you to um, to demonstrate and to do in for such a time as this. You know, um, so thank you for being in the work um, uh, with so many that came before us, and with so many who are here with us now. So. Um, it takes, what you say, it takes a village, it takes an army <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> to do this. <laughs> Thank you for giving up your time
0: today. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to BeTheBridge.com. Again, that's be BeTheBridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lawrence C. Brown is the senior producer.
2: And transcribed by Sarah Knatzer.
0: Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.